Welcome everyone to season three, episode one of the Night Watch Games podcast. I am Porik. And I am Brenda. And we are the owners of Night Watch Games in San Antonio, Texas. And we are starting season three, which is focusing on the idea of what is happiness, how do we pursue it, and what is the difference between the person chasing their dream and the person not chasing their dream. With us, we have our first guest, Joseph Fling. He reached out to me when he realized that we were looking for podcast guests. And so I quickly Googled Joseph Fling, and he runs a convention called Fling Con. And I typed in, naively, fling.com, which is a very different website. So I want to introduce, in an official capacity, Joseph Fling. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Joseph Fling, and uh, I run FlingCon which is a board gaming convention here in the San Antonio area. I'm actually in law enforcement. I have been for almost the last 20 years. I've been into board gaming my entire life. I'm also a jock. I've, I've played basketball my entire life. I'm getting to the age where it's a little hard to do now. It's basketball and board gaming, those, those were that's what I do. And did that come <laughs> from your family? Uh, the basketball part did. The board gaming came from, uh, we were at a beach house when I was a little kid. And uh, I was snooping around the beach house because we were renting it from someone. And I found a game called Risk in their closet. And I just thought it was just so amazing. And that kind of just sparked my interest right there. I guess a couple years later, I, as a young kid, I mowed grass all summer long, earning enough money. And because I had a goal in mind to go buy this new game that came out called Axis and Allies. I saved up my money all summer long and purchased that game. And that was my first purchase. And I've had many, many, many since then. <laughs> That's a deep dive in the board game. Axis yeah. and Allies is not yeah. and as a little of heart. Uh, as a little kid, that was very difficult to to comprehend as far as the rules go with having no gaming background at all. it was. I eventually got it, but it was difficult. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of my brother and I playing Risk, and it had those little abstract cubes that represented units, and we didn't know the rules of Risk, so we would just make tank models out of these cubes, and we would just go pew, 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 and that was our <laughs> version of Risk. What's your favorite game now? Do you still play board games now? Uh, I play all the time. My, yeah, That's a tough question. There's so many favorites I have, but if I had to pick one favorite, I would say it'd probably be War of the Ring. Do you find that you stay within that genre of a strategic board game? Do you go out into dice games or card games? <laughs> Um, role playing games. I'm not. Like a, I'm not afraid to venture out. I haven't done the role playing games yet. I typically stay within the Eurocentric games or even the Meritrash games. Any type of strategic game, honestly, I'll play. Okay. Yeah. What is it? Do you think about strategic games in particular that draws your interest? A good game to me will give me difficult choices to make when I'm contemplating my move, my turn. If it's too simple, then it's not capture my interest that much. I want something I need to think about and something that challenging where the players are thinking about their things and I'm thinking about mine. It's competition to see who can do the best in the game. That's what that's what interests me so much. And that's, a, I think, a perfect segue into the approach to life in general. If life was simple, we'd all just die of boredom. Right. <laughs> uh, but every day is full of complexities and choices that you have to make that are strategic, they're tactical, they're social, and psychological. So there's a lot of factors that you have to take into play just living this game of life that we're all in. The, the approach that you have with strategic games, do you find that there is a dovetailing with your approach to life's challenges in general? Board gaming to me is something that uh, it, it's an escape from life. You know, life can be very stressful. You know, I have four children. I have a wife. I have a home. You know, I have lots of responsibilities. I'm a job to do. And when I get to play games with my friends, uh, it's an escape from everything. It's, you know, I get to focus on something totally that isn't life. 
and that's that's kind of my addiction. Why it's still challenging and, and could be difficult to learn or, or to even play. It's still fun, you know. Not to say life's not fun. It is, but it's just a fun that's not important. I guess is what I should say. Hey, and out of all the addictions you could have, <laughs> that's a good I would one, say right? board gaming is probably the healthiest. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Do you find there's a correlation between law enforcement types of people and gaming? That's a that's a good question. Everyone's so different. The big gurus in law enforcement are your firearms guys. Why I believe in guns and I have guns myself, I'm not a gun guru. I wouldn't typically say go to law enforcement to find gamers. That's not <laughs> okay. typically a place to go find uh, gamers. However, since I've been in the industry so long, I've pulled many people that I've worked with, some are my best friends now, that I play games with on a on a weekly basis. Excellent. That are that are still in law enforcement today. That's fantastic. So, yeah. yeah the gaming culture is breaking through all sorts of boundaries. And so when you would have a, a typical law enforcement stereotype, doesn't seem like it would be tapping into the imagination or the fun of board gaming. And so you're proof that those stereotypes are, are so antiquated now. And that when you're looking for gamers, you can look across all sorts of professions that would normally not be participating. I think we have the most teachers playing board games now than I've ever seen before. A lot of medical professionals, too. Military, of course. I've, I've got people in my gaming group from military, from medical professions, teachers. I've, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a wide spectrum, which I, I agree. It's, game is not for everybody, I'll tell you that. I've pulled people from all kinds of work-related fields. <laughs> To come play. So you're sitting at your home and you're playing board games with your buddies. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you think convention. Tell us about that process. So how were you inspired to turn that into a convention? So that was, uh, that was obviously done over in the middle of a game. Uh, one of my friends, Mark, uh, looked at me and said, you know, we should have one day where we do nothing but play games all day long. Well, that's a fantastic idea. You know, because normally we get together and play, you know, one or two games and then everyone has responsibilities they need to go do. You know, within advance notice, we could schedule something to where we get together and just play from the time the sun comes up until we can't stay awake anymore. And so that's what we did. Normally, uh, I would always pick around January because everyone's pretty much home from Christmas and lives returning back to normal and everybody's home and uh, started off with maybe four to six people in my home on my dining room table and we would play from sun up till I didn't even know what game I was playing anymore. I was so tired and uh so that that eventually grew started occurring more tables and uh i was able to push my dining room furniture off to the wall throw more tables in my i have a very open downstairs three to four tables going anytime and i would invite up to maybe 20 people and i'd have a spread of food people aren't going to want to stay there if they're going to be hungry all day breakfast lunch dinner snacks in between everything and it kept people there it keep, keeps you happy it's that's what that's how it started in my was, in my dining room was that a paid ticket event then no. After a couple of times of doing it, it got a little expensive. So then I would just ask people like, hey, you know, if you'd like to reimburse me for some of this, uh, I appreciate it. I'm not going to ask you when you get here, you know, but if you want to reimburse me for this, I'd appreciate it. And, you know, most of them did, which made it far more doable. I, I wanted to get out of my, my dining room because I was like, you know what? There's so many more people out there that can play than just us 10 to 20 guys. Um, did you know the 10 to 20 guys? Those guys were all my friends. I, I okay. knew all of or at least a friend of a friend at, at, at most. There's a church right down the road from my house, which I know some people there, and they allow me to do it for free there. Uh, yeah, December of 19 was when I was able to go in without advertising. It was just total word of mouth. I got about 45 to 50 people. Table set up, and again, I, I cooked all day long for those 50 people. Cooked ahead of time, obviously, and you know we have a fridge there and a kitchen there, so I was able to pull food out and heat it up, and we had a library of games, and that was my first big one was December of 19. Well, congratulations. So, thank you. That's, that's a big deal. So... Was this ever a life ambition to host a con or was it really just kind of a spur idea that came across your lap? 
it was that spur idea when when my friend looked at me and said, hey, we should do this all day long. At that time, I guess I didn't have in my mind, okay, let's do a convention. It was just, uh, it was it was gradual. You know, let's let's get our friends together all day long to my friends and your friends together to your friends together, you know, and, you know, let's let's get a whole bunch of people together. They, they can bring more games. We'll have more games to choose from and more people to play with and more people to meet. Um, it becomes exponential. Yeah, and doing that, I've gotten more of those people I didn't know into my gaming circle that now get a regular invite when I'm just hosting something small during the day at my house. Is Fling Con scratching the itch that you thought it would? More so than I thought, more so. Like I said, right now, um, the church doesn't charge me to hold it there. So it's easy right now, it's safe. Um, I'm not in a financial burden to do anything, but I'm also, now I have that itch to get bigger and go to an event center somewhere that's gonna cost me money to where I can draw even more people in, have a big crowd. You know, however big I get is how big I get. I don't have a set goal in mind, I'm not wanting 10,000 people next year. You know, I want to grow this gradually and slowly and safely as I can because like I said earlier, I have responsibilities that I don't want to say hold me back. They make it to where I need to play this safe. There's some convention designers that really do this full time. Sure. And they, they try to make it their profession and there's some golden stories of people earning a lot of money being convention organizers. But we hear a lot about people organizing conventions and it becomes too much of a burden for them and it ends up sort of fizzling out. Do you, do you have a long-term vision for FlameCon? I do and it's tough to it's tough to pinpoint exactly how big to see this could get. It's growing and the interest is there. The hobby itself is growing, so naturally, you know, this is going to grow. If I had to say what I would pick if I could just pick my long-term goal, it, it'd be I would have maybe a thousand people in a in an event hall somewhere. You know, I would like to keep the cost affordable as much as possible. Um, obviously, I'm not going to cook for a thousand people, so I'd need to hire catering and all that. You know, but yeah, I I, I don't mind, and I'll, I'll need help too. Right now, it's just me. I'm doing all this by myself. So in the future, yeah, I, I'd need help, uh, volunteers, and I'm willing to see how big this will get. Interesting when when dreams like this, visions start getting momentum and you start pursuing them, a lot of it falls in your own lap and you have to do a lot of it. Mm -hmm. As you're saying, it's your board game library, it's your connections with the church, it's your food that you're making. It's really all about Joe Mm -hmm. hosting a party for people and that party's getting bigger and bigger. But it's gonna outgrow your capacity to do that. And what I've discovered is that it's soon gonna become a job or a source of stress that might outweigh your personal enjoyment at the event. Do you foresee that where you are now sort of taken away from the game table and you're having to orchestrate this for a lot of other people to play? And I have thought about that and I've kind of already experienced that in my own event. Being the host, there's things I need to do. I don't have time to sit here and play something extremely strategic. As the day goes on and people are settled into stuff, then I find I'm able to get into a game. Do you find that facilitating the happiness of games for other people is as powerful to you as you experiencing the distraction of gaming. I do. I do. If if I can, if I'm hosting all day and, and facilitating an event, and I've got hundreds of other people playing board games, I'm I'm just as happy. Absolutely. Well, we found that's the same thing with owning a, a game store. The initial idea is that we're going to be facilitating a setting in which we get to enjoy games and people that are playing games, and we get to immerse ourselves in games. But the reality is that you don't. You end up facilitating that enjoyment for other people. And so your source of enjoyment, your source of happiness is totally different than what you started off with. Is there any letdown on your part of realizing that you don't get to distract yourself for a full day, 
you're actually doing a lot more work than you thought. No, not yet at least. I feel like I plan pretty well. In my mind, I know exactly how the day is going to go. I kind of plan it to where everything's already done before the day even starts. So that way it gives me more time where I can sit down and, and play a few games here and there. I mean, I'll just have to maybe step away for a minute to go take care of this or go take care of that. And then I can come right back. So generally the format of your convention mm-hmm. is your board game library yep. and tables. And can people just go check out a game and sit down and play? Yes. Um, and actually on the website, I have a library of all the games I'm going to bring. How many so, games? Do you have about 300 i typically i don't take that many to the convention i'll take probably the maybe the top 50 to 75 games to the convention call that my library and invite other people also to bring their games to add to the library you know, bring what you want to play basically <laughs> i'll have plenty to choose from but bring what you want to play add it to the library the church has a big long stage there i just line the games up on the stage and this past year we had so many games it lined up on the stage and then lined up on the floor underneath the stage but in addition to that i have a bazaar there to where people can bring and sell games it in it was really cool this past one because i set up one table at the end of the gym in the church like hey this is your table Put your games here, write your name on it, uh, write your price or your trade or whatever, and stick it on your game. That way we know who to find and how much to buy it for. Um, I had one table. I ended up with five because people brought so many games. And I, I want to say there was probably three, 350 games for sale at the last event we did. Really exciting to me. I was so happy to see all that. And obviously these, these aren't, you know, top-notch games. These are typically games that people have already played and, you know, they they just want to sell them to somebody else because they don't play them anymore. There were still, I, I want to say there's at least 100 purchases of used games from, from other people. And how did that work? So, did the person that was selling their games have to abstain from playing so they could be there to make their transaction no no it's it's literally just a table at the end of the gym and all the games are there uh you find a game you want to buy and basically you have to go find that person i'm looking around to see if anybody's carrying my game around to see if you know okay hey that's mine i'll you know you can you can purchase it from me there's things that i've had in my mind to make that better because if you go to you know bgg con or something there's a dedicated room with people behind their table selling that selling their games and that's not what this is yet i haven't gotten to that point yet so i I need to think of a mechanic of of somehow people can sell their games but not off playing the games where they can't right where you could have like one cashier facilitating for everybody i could do that yes yes had for many years PAX South. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was the largest game convention here in San Antonio. It offered both uh, video game and tabletop gaming, Mm -hmm. and now they're gone. Mm -hmm. They are not going to continue here. So San Antonio is really ripe for the next game convention, whether it be video or tabletop or both. Have you maybe had any ideas that you could pick up where they left off? I don't want to see anybody else fail. I don't know what the reason was for them leaving, but uh, it, it definitely gave me a bit of motivation to like, wow, this door is open. You know, let's get this going right now because now is the time. Have you collaborated with any other con organizers? I have a friend who I met at the last Fling Con, uh, Andrew Hartwell, who he's running uh, Alamo City Game Convention, and his is going to be this coming Labor Day. And we've kind of talked a lot about what do we want in our conventions, uh, what are we doing. He's at a different level than I am. Well, he's doing. His, in, a, in an event center already for his first one, putting up money right away. You know, he, he even told me, like, you know, you're doing this the safe way. We're picking each other's brains. Um, once he has his convention, tell me things he did wrong, things he did right, and I'm doing that with my convention. So, and we're trying to plan it to where we can do our conventions separate months, you know, two, three months separate from each other. So we're not stealing customers from each other. He's been a big help to me. And I hope I've been a big help to him. Well, I'm interested that you mm-hmm. use the word customers. So mm-hmm. are you now 
charging tickets for your convention? I am. $25 is for the one in June per person. You go to the registration page on my website, it says right there that I'm not making money off of this. Every single dollar I get paid goes right back into the convention. Well, I would like to just say right now, there is nothing wrong with you making money off this. You're working. I I, I understand. (laughs) And that that is a long-term goal. Um, I've got about eight to 12 years before I can retire. I hope by the time I get retired, I'm making money off this. That way I can supplement some income. But right now, making money off this is not my goal. My goal right now is to have fun doing this and to have other to meet people and have other people come in and have fun with this as well. This is strictly fun for me right now. I'm in the process. I'm learning. I'm, I'm growing. I'm meeting more people. We read a, an article earlier today about people positioning themselves in environments that facilitates their success. The example was a very talented violinist was in a New York subway playing for about 45 minutes and people would pass them by and a couple people would throw them a dollar and maybe clap a little bit, but they weren't acknowledging his skill in that setting. And later that day, he had a full concert in a New York concert hall with entry tickets of upward to $100 and he was sold out and obviously made a lot of money playing the exact same music on the exact same instrument, uh, and yet the reception is totally different. And the point of the article was that even if you excel, or even if you're pursuing your talents, if you're not in the right setting, it doesn't take root. It doesn't grab the audience. Do you find that San Antonio, in general, is ripe for a gaming convention? I do. And, and just as your wife pointed out, PAX South is gone. I think it's a perfect opportunity to have gaming conventions right now. And as, as I said earlier, the hobby's growing at a very quick rate. The internet obviously is huge for that. Back when I was a kid, I couldn't go online and find people to play with. I had to go convince my friends who didn't want to play. Now I can, BGGs, there's a site, there's many sites where I can go to and find other people to play games. So I think this is a I think San Antonio is a perfect area for a gaming convention. I absolutely do. Are you tapping into any of the other people here in San Antonio that are in the gaming industry? Have you tapped into any of the local game stores? Not yet. I want to, and I will eventually. The reason I haven't done that yet, I'm doing this at a local church, which is free for me. They have rules. I can't make money off of this while I'm in their church. I can't bring vendors in. This is a friendly event is what this is. As soon as I'm uh, able and comfortable and... I get an event center to hold this in or a hotel or wherever. I'm absolutely reaching out to, to people for that. There is a right opportunity, not only for the local game stores to get involved. A lot of them are looking for marketing opportunities and exposure. And there's a lot of social media influencers that are also looking for that kind of exposure. People that want to mingle with their fans or get their name out there. A lot of people are doing video casting and podcasting uh, specifically about games, and they would probably jump at the idea of being some kind of feature or some type of event there at your con where they got to talk behind a microphone and just sort of support your cause because it supports them as well. There's actually quite a lot of board game designers right here in San Antonio, and I'm sure they'd love to have a place at that table as well. There's uh, one guy who's making a game called Gauntlets of Glory. He's always looking for playtesters, and I think the word on the street is he's now on his second game. But he has a really funny first name. It's uh, it's just really hard to remember. Cool is Joe Fling. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty simple. Yeah, there are a lot of game designers 
that would love to probably have a partition at your con as as something to get their stuff exposed. Playtest uh, hall. I would love it if, if people brought their prototypes to my convention and I, I would have a separate room set up and you can show off your game. That would be great. And mm-hmm. I've got games in my head too that I, I'm trying to get to the table. You know, some of these top designers, I, it, it blows my mind the things that they can think of and, uh, and how well they can have mechanics of the game flow. All game designers take ideas from other game designers, you know, and that's, that's why we have so many games these days. I've got games in my head and I've, I'm currently working on one to, we'll see where it goes. FlameCon is something I would love to have game designers come to show off their prototypes. I think game design and convention organizing is probably a very similar process. You have an end result in your mind, you have an end experience in mind, the mood and the emotion that you want your player or your participant to feel at the end is probably very crystal clear. And the trick is to get that vision in your head to be practical and implemented. And what we've discovered through game design is that your initial idea or your initial implementation of your idea changes so much as you iterate and test it and go through and it develops into something quite different than the beginning version. I suspect that conventions are the same way, that your convention in five years is going to be vastly different than what you're predicting. I sure hope so. <laughs> I, I sure hope so. In five years, I hope I'm three to four times the size I am now and, and out of the church and, and into a gaming event and I have booths of game stores or, or publishers or game designers or whoever wanting to come to FlingCon. So let's talk about 2022. When okay. is the next FlingCon? Con. June 18th. June 18th of this year, mm-hmm. and it's $25, and mm-hmm. that just helps you break even and recoup the costs. Yes. What time does it start? Uh, it goes from 8 a.m. to midnight. 8 a.m. to midnight. And are people allowed to bring in outside food and drink? They are more than welcome to, absolutely. So but- they bring their games, but they can also check out a game from your personal library yeah. and sit at a table, and it goes until what time in the evening? Till midnight. Till midnight. Yeah, okay, and that falls midnight. on a... It's a Saturday. It's a Saturday. All right. I eventually like to get this to be a multi-day event, be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The church might have a problem with Sunday. They would have a problem with Sunday. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I. this is obviously when I'm out of church. <laughs> Going back to the $25 cost, uh, that covers the cost of food and it also covers anything else I, I buy. I, I do raffle. I raffle off games. I raffled off, I think it was five last time. Uh, the big raffle was Gloomhaven. I found games for cheap that were in shrink. I always make sure they're in shrink. I don't, I don't raffle off used games. The money that uh, I spend buying those games in advance, I'm reimbursed. I'd like to talk just a little bit more about the food because when you say a $25 con ticket and it includes the food, Mm -hmm. that's kind of a big deal. It it is. Okay. So you you won't find that at at bigger conventions. That's something I have an advantage of, of being small right now. All right. So tell me about the food. What can I expect? About three tables lined up with food on it all day long. Some of it is homemade food that I make myself uh, the week before. And some of it is store-bought from Costco. Breakfast, we had an egg casserole. That is my mom's recipe and it's delicious and everyone loves it. I had bacon and biscuits and the egg casserole. I had donuts and Kalachis and orange juice and milk and I want to go to Flingcon. That was breakfast. That was breakfast. And the fact that it's available all day long. What are some of the obstacles that you've personally encountered trying to make Flingcon develop the way you want? I don't know that I've really run into any obstacles yet. I've wanted X amount of people at each one and I've fallen short a little bit. I don't know if I could consider that an obstacle. But it's a goal I haven't met. But I also haven't spent a dime in advertising either. I'm my own culprit there. But that that's all changing. As this FlingCon grows bigger and I, I'm able to grow it bigger, I, there's going to be obstacles. I know that. Yeah. Um, and that's that's where hopefully uh, you know some of my friends who have also run conventions will, will help me learn. The key is uh, not only do you have to have your personal vision and your own ambition and the drive, you're getting your part of that puzzle done, is that to achieve happiness by themselves. 
there might be some interesting stories out there of solo people being happy by what they do by themselves. But I think that it's a rare thing. And so it comes to the process of, of networking, finding people that have your same calling or your same passions, or as Brendan and I talk often about, your same value systems. And you feed each other and motivate each other. And you keep yourself going through those obstacles and aces in your places and people picking up where other people are dropping off. That seems to me as that's your future. Do you find those people out there? No, not necessarily. <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> There's tons of people that have reached out saying, I've got these ambitions. And some of them are other convention holders. There might be people that you're already talking with, but a lot of podcasters and a lot of presenters and a lot of uh, influencers, uh, they're all looking for outlets in which to interact with the gaming community in general. If I can make a prediction, if you were to reach out and cast your net and take that big step off the cliff where you're now into a financial relationship mm -hmm. with the gaming community, uh, I think you're going to find a lot of people coming out of the woodwork to join up with you. It's sort of the element of of success and if this is the kind of thing that makes you happy uh, there's a lot of people out there that are going to facilitate that and of course you're feeding their happiness as well and the puzzle of the whole thing is how can we all make each other happy at the same time <laughs> yeah i agree with that at, at the last event i did in january i i don't know i probably had eight to ten people come up to me and say hey you know when you do this again i want to help you know i want to be there to help and a lot of people will say hey you know you and your crew did great you know in my head i'm thinking oh, there's no crew it's just me you know, <laughs> there's going to be a crew eventually, you know, when I, when, you know, when I, as I grow and I'm going to need a crew for sure. And I think you're exactly right. There's people love this hobby so much. They're willing to, they want to be a part of it. I've already got friends who are, you know, just texting me ideas and inspiring me greatly to keep growing this thing. Cause this is a lot of fun. So what's the family think about it? They're not gamers. <laughs> We've all got our own interest. We have a common interest, obviously, but there's also individual interest. And mine is a nerdy interest. And, you know, dad's the nerd. They also know I'm the jock side, so, which is why they've been playing sports their whole lives. <laughs> right. Hobby has been around their entire lives. So it's nothing new to them. It's nerdy to my kids, but they, they understand. <laughs> There'll be a day when you become somewhat of a celebrity as a conventional organizer. You would be, you know, at the top of the food chain when it comes to that event. And people are going to regard you more than just nerd dad. You're going to be <laughs> well, it's, the it, Joe Flame. It's funny when uh, when you guys messaged me to, to invite me to the podcast, I was excited. And I told my kids about it. And they were like, oh, now you're famous in the gaming world. So it's already happened. You <laughs> there, know. You go. there you go. Yeah. Addictive, well, there is definitely right. a point when your passion turns into a business. Yeah. And I can just personally say, we can personally say that A, it's worth it, and B, San Antonio can support you in your dream business. There are enough people interested in what you're doing to support it. We we supported PAX while it was here, and we will support you while you're here. Thank you. I really appreciate yeah. that. And if I can get you know hundreds or a thousand or so people together to do that, that's, that's, that's my achievement and happiness right there. When people pursue their happiness, it has to involve other people's happiness. The profundity is that your happiness is fueling other people's happiness that then refuels your happiness. And it becomes a very symbiotic relationship between people pursuing happiness as a, a gestalt organism of humanity. And that we're not individuals pursuing our own dream in an isolated way. We're pursuing our dream in a sea full of fish 
that are hopefully swimming in a, a similar direction and we all benefit from those type of people that have the, the courage and the discipline and the vision of actualizing their happiness through their dream. And so people like Joe Fling, they need that school of fish to swim with them for them to succeed in their individual happiness. But we all derive and benefit from his efforts and we become happier and then we start generating our own profound happiness. So well said, hon. Uh, it's inspirational that uh, when we meet people like you that are pursuing their vision, taking some of the, the steps to make it happen in light of opposition and you're sort of at the easy phase right now, but um, I wouldn't belittle that because there, there, there are efforts. There, mm-hmm. there are grease burns that you've experienced when you're making the food and all the <laughs> things that are good reasons to not do I that. mean, just the wear and tear on your games is cringeworthy. <laughs> you must have sleeved every single game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, if I, I want to I wanna say that other people have the same mindset as me, that might not be safe. But if I go grab someone else's game to play it, I'm going to take care of it. You know, and, and I want to say that the far majority of gamers have the same mindset as far as games go. We've experienced the same. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, type I, of gamer will. Yeah, yeah. but when Wingspan yeah. meets biscuit, breakfast biscuits, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. crumbs happen. Please don't eat Cheetos while you're playing my games. That's right. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, any uh, last parting words to the, the listeners out there? First of all, I want to go back, revisit the topic of FlingCon in itself, of how I got the name. I didn't name it FlingCon. It didn't even have a name. This was just an event that friends got together. That's all it was. Uh, my friend Dario said, hey, let's do FlingCon. Sounds kind of good. Thus, that's where the name was born. It just kind of stuck. And so now when I was texting my friends and emailing people and saying, hey, come to FlingCon. The other thing I wanted to say is when you guys invited me to come do this podcast, uh, I was telling people, Night's Watch is the cream of the crop. This is the best. I, I really appreciate you guys inviting me to do this. And I definitely want you guys at FlingCon in the future when I'm able to house you guys. <laughs> so, Super thanks. Yeah. There's kindred spirits there trying to excel and, again, pursue their dream. So we love meeting people like you. And we would love to make FlingCon a thing that's on the map. Let's For do sure. It. Let's do right it. Right on. Well, thanks, listeners. This is, again, Night Watch Games, Pork and Brenda. We have uh, big plans for the future. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.